0: Well, good morning and welcome to the service. As Ben mentioned, it is uh, an assignment I was given for the circuit preaching that we're doing with uh, Weavertown and Mine Road. I was just told, I was just kinda given a, the subject of Christians and civil government. And as I began studying and looking into this this topic, it, it went a little bit of a different direction than I, I, guess, expected. Of course, I was thought of Romans 13 right away and was reading that passage. There's several verses there, and we're not going to spend a lot of time in Romans 13 this morning. However, we will come back a little later on and and look at a few of those verses. But I've I've entitled the message this morning "Citizens of Heaven." And as I was studying, a question that I came across that I been pondering quite a bit. Something I want you to, to think about throughout the throughout our time here this morning. And the question is, what if Jesus actually meant what he said? What if Jesus actually meant what he said? I just want you to kind of think of that as we as we go through as we go through our morning here and and look at different verses, different scriptures in the Bible. First of all, I believe it's important to understand that if, if <clears throat> as, as citizens of heaven, as, as children of God, I believe it's important to understand at least somewhat God's kingdom. I don't think we can fully understand. I really appreciated John's devotional this morning and the, our inability as humans to completely understand or even describe God. And I think it's that way with God's kingdom. We, we were taught a lot in the Bible about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And I think it's important as, as citizens of heaven, as God's children, that we at least understand as much as we can about his kingdom. And I believe it's also important then to, to uh, realize or to desire to actually be that citizen of heaven. And as we think about citizenship and belonging to a country or a nation or a people, probably all of us or at least most of us here have traveled to, to another country somewhere outside of the United States. Whether it's Mexico or Canada or whether we get on a jet and fly halfway around the world that we, we go kind of through the same process. We're definitely very aware of when we pass from, we would say our country, our home country, into the next. There are usually security guards, there's customs of, custom officials. We have to make sure we have the right documents, the right stamps, passport has to be current. All these things that we check before we, before we even attempt to, to travel or to cross into another country. And we even, even here within the United States, we know when we cross from one state into the other. Just down the road here, there's a sign that tells us we're leaving Lancaster County and going into Chester. There's, there's signs that mark all these different boundaries. You know, when we, when we cross from one country into another, sometimes we may be questioned as to what our intent is for visiting there, for coming to their country. They wanna make sure that we're not coming to stir up trouble or to do anything that they don't want us to do. Many of these borders are, are real. They are real, they're geographical boundaries. There some places there's walls, there's fences, there's gates, there's things that we can see and actually cross over. If we think about the kingdom of God, I believe it is also a very real but also a very different type of what we say government or kingdom there's not necessarily a a distinct border when I drive to church this morning that now I entered God's kingdom I didn't have to show a passport to say that you know now I entered into God's kingdom and when I leave here I'm going to go back to the other kingdom and yet it's something that I believe we are We are uh, very aware of something that is very powerful, a kingdom that is very real. I believe this kingdom existed, the kingdom of God, existed before the earth was even created. We read in, in the Bible about the time when, when God cast Lucifer out of heaven. And I think Manny touched on that a little bit last week. We realized then already there was a struggle between between God and his kingdom, and between, it says there when Lucifer became, he became proud and he was cast out of heaven. Another interesting thing about the kingdom of God, I think it's, as I mentioned, it was, it was here before the earth began, it was here eternity past, I believe, God always was, God always, God always had his kingdom. And I believe God's kingdom will also exist into all eternity. I, I really enjoyed Manny's message last Sunday. He talked about the fall of man when sin came into this world. I believe when God created the earth, he created the earth, it was, it was perfect. He put man in it. There was no sin. There was no evil. I believe God was, at that point, I believe at that point God placed part of his kingdom here on this earth and he wanted man to take care of it. But as we, as we know, uh, man sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, they fell, and since the fall of man, I believe man has been trying to to fix those things, man has been trying to restore what they think is right, and I think that's what Romans 13 here talks about—the powers being terror to not to the good works, but to the evil. I believe earthly kingdoms have an important role, but at the same time, I believe there's this there's this attitude of trying to fix what went wrong when man sinned. So God's kingdom on this earth, I believe, was, could we say, pushed out or kind of brought to an end when man fell. The garden was no longer, there was now sin there. God could no longer communicate with Adam in the same way as he did before. But God gave a promise there in Genesis as well that he he would send a redeemer. He would send a way to bring us back to God. We believe that God's heavenly kingdom has been brought back to earth now by his son Jesus. And we as Christians, we as his people are the citizens and subjects of that kingdom. We're not to be part of the political and economic kingdoms of this world, but we are God's children. We are citizens of heaven. I think as God's children, we are called to make his kingdom visible wherever we are. We're living in this earth, we rub shoulders with many people who are against God, and yet we are called to make God's kingdom visible. I believe it's important that there's a clear distinction between citizens of this world's kingdom and the citizens of God's kingdom. just want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 6. And verse 9, it's where, uh, it's the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus' disciples had asked him to, to teach them how to pray, he gave them the Lord's Prayer. He said, after this manner pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven. It's addressing God, addressing the king. He says, hallowed be thy name. And verse 10 I find very interesting. He says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So here we're asking, we're asking God that his will be done on this earth. The same as it is in heaven. We're asking his kingdom to come. And if we, think about, if we think about that, if we think about God's, it's hard to grasp what heaven is like because none of us were ever there. But I believe we all understand that it's perfect, it's sinless. It's where God himself dwells. And if we pray and we are, to, we are to ask God that his kingdom comes, that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, how should that make us live? If we pray that, do we believe that Jesus actually meant what he said when he, in, his, in the teachings of the New Testament Because really there are only two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Galatians 1 verse 4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father. So he sent his son so that we can be delivered from this evil world, from this Kingdom of the world. And then in Titus chapter 2, so I'm going to turn there and read several verses there. Titus chapter 2, verse 12 through 14 says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people (coughs) zealous of good works. There again, God wants God wants to purify us unto himself. He wants to set us apart, says to To be zealous of good works, to be a peculiar people, to be to be different, to be somebody that the world can look at and say, well, they're not from this country. You know, we meet people sometimes, or maybe if we're maybe it's more so if we're depends which country we go into, people might look at us and they know instantly we're not from here. We don't belong here. We're just visiting. And I think that's what I think that's what we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus need to be like here on this earth. When we come in contact with somebody, I believe it's important that they realize that we don't belong here. We're not citizens here. We're just traveling through. Colossians 1 verse verse 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. If think of that word translated there, it, it just simply means to be moved from one distinct place to another place. I had to think of the verse where it talks about, I think it was Enoch, tells us that he walked with God and then he was not for God translated him. God just simply moved him from this earth to be with him in glory, he he, he translated him. He just took him from one place and moved him to another. It tells us in Colossians 1 that 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 is what Jesus, that is what God has done for us. He wants to deliver us from the power of darkness. He wants to take us from this earthly kingdom, this world system, and just move us into the kingdom of his dear son. And I believe when we take that step, when we are moved into that kingdom that then it needs to be a clear border I believe that then puts us into enemy territory we probably don't really like the idea of living in enemy territory living in a place where in a place where we'll probably be called to suffer In a place where it seems like most people are against us. Maybe even out to destroy us. But I believe that's what God has called us to. He has called us to be different. He has called us to be a peculiar people. I want to spend a little bit of time now on what we call the new birth, being born again. And I believe this is an important part of being Of being a citizen of heaven, of being an ambassador for Christ. As I mentioned before, God's kingdom always was. But for a long time, as we study, as we read through the Bible, as we study especially the Old Testament, it seems like for a long time man just couldn't see God's kingdom. The law was in place, there was there was prophets, there was teaching about God, but it seems God's kingdom was hidden. It talks, there's verses in the Bible that talk about, about a natural blindness. I believe as man, we are born into the, into the natural world, into, into our, we're born with a sinful nature. We're born with a blindness, I believe, to God. Romans 3 verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I'm 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 so thankful to God this morning that he he didn't leave us there in that blindness. Ever since the fall of man in in Genesis there's been that hope, there's been that promise of a redeemer. There's been that promise of would we say a better way or a, a new kingdom. It's not a promise like It's not a promise or a law like the the Old Testament law where it was the Ten Commandments were written on tables of stone. It's not full of animal sacrifices and a law that I believe many times became a burden. But God promised his people a new heart. He promised his people a new mind. He said he would give his spirit to work in his people and to write his laws in their heart. So I want to read a few verses from Ezekiel. <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 36. I believe this was a, a prophecy of of what was going to happen. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. He says, A new heart. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments, and do them. Then, if we move into Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 and 11 It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And I believe this is probably somewhat fulfilled now, but I believe this will be fulfilled completely at Christ's second coming when everybody is going to fall before God and realize that he is God, when God completely restores his kingdom and everything to himself. But I believe he's also referring to a time when God's spirit could work in his people, God, through Jesus, has made it possible for us to be born a second time. This time, we're born into the spiritual world. We're now to be spiritually alive. I believe this new nature is, is, is the work of God. It is when Jesus was born on this earth as a baby, he lived his life, he taught us many things. He died for our sins, and then he rose again he told his disciples when he ascended into heaven to not be afraid because he's going to send a comforter. He's going to send his spirit. I believe in this way God was, what do we say, birthing humans again. He was rebirthing people. He was giving, he was giving us an opportunity to be born into his kingdom. Probably most of us here have were born into this country here. We were, our parents lived here when we were born. We were born into this country. Jesus now, through the work of Jesus, through the work of the cross and the coming of his spirit, he made it possible for us to be born, could we say, into heaven, into that heavenly country. We have now become citizens of heaven. John 3, verse 3, this is when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. And a little earlier in John John chapter 1 verse 11 through 13 it says he came unto his own and his own received him not but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Our first birth, through our first birth, we received the nature of Adam. Through our second birth, we now receive the nature of God. <clears throat> second Peter 1 verse 4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's through his promises, through his work, that we can be partakers of the divine nature. We can escape the corruption that is in this world. Mark 1 verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The question is this morning, have you been born again? Have you been born into God's kingdom? And if so, I trust we have been. If we have been, what if we believe that Jesus means every word that he spoke? What difference would it make in your life, in my life, if I believe every word that Jesus spoke? I came across a little writing by Soren Kierkegaard. I just want to read it now. I think he. Well, I'll just read it and then make a few comments. He says the matter is simple. The Bible is easy to understand. But we as Christians have become scheming swindlers. We pretend, we pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. I just want to read that statement again. We pretend to be able to understand We tend to be unable to understand because we know very well that when we, the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. He goes on and says, take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. You might say, but if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. How will I ever get on in the world? Herein lies the real place of Christian scholarship. Christian scholarship is the church's invention to defend itself against the Bible, to ensure that we can continue to be good Christians without the Bible coming too close. Dreadful it is to fall into the hand of the living God. It is also dreadful to be alone with the New Testament. That's the end of the quote. I think he makes some very sobering points. How many times do we study the Bible and try to make it say something so that I don't need to change? If we look at the Bible and we believe that Jesus meant what he said, I believe it should change, it should change me. It should change us. It should change my perspective on the world, it should change the way I live. I think it's important that we do not read the Bible and try to make it fit our lifestyle. I believe we can put Jesus' teachings into two words when Jesus said, follow me. Can we claim to be a follower of Christ without actually following Christ? I believe the hardest part about following Jesus, we all say we want to follow Jesus, but the hardest part about following Jesus is that it always leads to a cross. Jesus said, if you do not take up the cross and follow me, ye cannot be my disciples. I think this just simply means completely dying to self. It's simple, but at the same time, it's not easy. Romans chapter 8 I just want to read a few verses there Romans chapter 8 verse 35 through 39 Once again just promises that promises from God's word that no matter what life brings to us no matter the cost no matter what the cost is here in this earth because I decided to follow Jesus because I decided to take up my cross No matter the cost, God is faithful. I just want to read these verses in Romans 8, starting verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter." Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just a wonderful promise that it doesn't matter what comes our way. It doesn't matter if it costs my life here. Nothing can separate, nothing can separate me from the king. After Napoleon, the emperor was defeated. He was exiled to an island off the coast of Africa. <coughs> he wrote this in his journal. He said, "I know men Jesus is not a mere man. There is no comparison between Jesus and all other men. He says, Alexander the Great, Caesar, and myself founded empires, but we rested everything upon our own force. Jesus founded his empire on love, and at this very hour, there are millions of people willing to die for him. This was a an emperor an emperor from this world, a, an emperor that after he was defeated realized that the way Jesus the way Jesus set up his his kingdom was a way better way, was was a better way than the kingdoms of this world. I had to think of of Jesus when he stood before Pilate, and Pilate asked him, are you a king then? And Jesus said, for this cause came I into the world. Pilate said, can't get the exact words, but Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it would be, then my servants would be fighting. Jesus founded his kingdom on love you may be wondering what what all this has to do with with us today with relating to civil government just want to go back again to Romans chapter 13 as we I'm not going to read these verses again but if we look at some of these verses and we see that that God has a purpose. God has a purpose for civil government. They are there for our good. They're there to subdue evil. They're there to punish punish the evil. First Timothy one, verse eight and nine says, But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners for the unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers. So we might say well then the government doesn't really have any if I don't do any of these things then the government doesn't really mean anything to me. But I think it's important that we realize that that even local governments like Townships like traffic laws. All those things, I believe, are also part of this. Part of this. I think that all comes into play here in, in Romans chapter 13. And God asks us to <coughs> to follow them, to obey them. just want to spend a little bit of time on, on uh, looking into the children of Israel and their Their desire for a king, their desire for an earthly king. God had chosen his people and he had said he would be their king. He would be their Lord. But as early as the time of Gideon, we have Israel asking Gideon to be their king, asking Gideon Gideon to rule over them. In Judges 8 verse 23, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And when God finally did permit Israel to have a king, he told Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. I think that's a very, a very sad statement. Israel wanted an earthly king, that they could follow. They rejected God as their king. The kingdom of God has a special place on this earth. God still gives us earthly governments, but he gives, he gives them to us in a rebuke to those who want to live by the law and by the fear of the sword. Read a few verses in, in Hosea. Just again, God's, God's. Uh, we would maybe say God that He permitted them to have a king, and yet it wasn't His, and yet it wasn't His will. I don't know if I can find the verse here, Hosea chapter thirteen. Verse 9 through 11 says, I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges of whom thou saidst, give me a king and princes. Verse 11, he says, I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. I believe he's just making clear that God's desire was not for his people to have a king here on this earth. He says he gave him in his anger, and he took him away in his wrath, probably referring to, at least in part to Saul there, how he took the kingdom from him. Daniel 4, verse 17 says, This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. I believe it's just a statement that God is in complete control, even in these earthly kingdoms. He goes on, And giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Not a very good pat on the back for a lot of political and earthly rulers. He says, God setteth over it the basest of men. Governmental authority was not given in grace, but out of wrath. And then the prophets spoke of a time when the way of God would be restored. (coughs) Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. I'm just going to read verse 2 through 7. It says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nations, and not increased the joy. The joy before thee, they joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, as as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff off of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. I believe he's just describing earthly battles, earthly conflicts. But then in verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, excuse me unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father The Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is what Jesus (coughs) did for us. This is what Jesus did. So the question is, whose kingdom, whose kingdom will you be a part of? (coughs) And this is now the context for the New Testament, for Jesus' teaching. I believe we need to allow the teaching of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom to be what fills us, to be what consumes us. Someday Jesus will return and rule as supreme. But I believe for now he displays his kingdom on earth through his church. Jesus brought in the new covenant to reestablish God's desire And designed for humanity and he wants you, he wants me to live out his desire. We're called to be the salt and the light in this world. We're called to preach the gospel. We're not called to take up political sides and get involved in the affairs of the earthly kingdoms. I believe this includes things like jury duty, like voting, like holding any political office, like taking part in protests or marches. However, we do not need to be anti-government or anti-American or anti-whichever country we're from, but we need to realize that we're just passing through. And I believe we need to consider again the question, what if Jesus <clears throat> actually meant every word that he said? And how can, we be, how can we claim to be a follower of Jesus if we don't follow what he said? We are here on this earth as ambassadors for Christ, and I believe the church is an embassy for heaven. Shall we kneel for prayer? God, I thank you for.